Hey there, first generation bow hunter here. Welcome to episode 75. In this episode, I'm going to do something a little different, and it's kind of based off one of the last questions in episode 74 from my good friend Andrew at Endure Hunt podcast. He asked me if you could talk to your younger bow hunter self, what would you tell your younger bow hunter self? As a really jarring question, and I haven't stopped thinking about it in the last week. Uh, So I thought, you know, not that we can go back in time and change anything, but if I could go talk to myself, what would I say? I thought that was a really interesting thought process. So this episode is all about that, and hopefully this helps you, because if you're just starting out, maybe it's like I'm having a conversation with you. Um, and you might be facing some of the same mindsets or same mistakes. Um, the way that I did answer, you can go back to 74 and I'll just tell you what I said, but what I'd said was I wouldn't go back and say a whole lot. I, you know, in terms of like, well, don't get that bow or get this bow or whatever in buying equipment. I, I would say like, you've got to go through that progression. Um, because I think if I would have jumped to a really fancy bow out the gate, some people may think they need to do that, but it's okay to like grow into a bigger bow. I I am a big believer in that. Um, I, I think a lot of part of my process was that progression of starting with something a little bit more simple, call it my pawn shop bow, and then moving up to something a lot more quality, a lot more consistent, like an elite or a Hoyt. Um, So yeah, let's go back. Let's, let's talk not just about gear, but about the whole experience. I would say um, on one of my first hunts, I went out to Nebraska. It was negative 16. I went out with a good friend, Trevin Stoltzfitz, and it was a, that was a cold one. If I was to have a conversation with myself after that hunt where I'd missed a doe, gosh, a foot maybe over its back. It was a really bad shot at 35 yards. I was so bummed. Man, I was shooting at like 60, just dialed, and don't know what happened. Uh, shooting out the blind was was a bit of a, a deal. But if I was to go back and talk to myself, I would just say, you know, as quick as possible, just, you know, Hey, that's, that's part of bow hunting. Um, in in my mindset back then, I used to think that like misses don't happen. Like, again, I've said it before. I was probably the most naive early bow hunter I've ever heard of, but I just didn't think like, how can you practice something over and over and over at the range in your backyard, just constantly doing it. And then an animal comes, I, I wasn't registering until I was in that moment and the adrenaline dumped and all of that. So I would tell my younger self, you know, don't be so naive of good job. You can stand in a very flat room or, you know, an archery range, your backyard. It just doesn't matter when that animal steps in front, all emotions that you thought you were going to have, like go out the window and 
I don't know what yours are like, if you've had a few of those early experiences yet, but it is, is just the widest range of emotions. Um, so I would just tell myself like, Hey, you have just got to expect the unexpected and just roll with it. Uh, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs and just don't get too down on yourself. I would say just stick with it. And that's what I did. I mean, I, I did have people kind of tell me that along the way, but when the misses happened, I, I got really down. Like I couldn't let it go for weeks, sometimes months. Um, especially if it was like, I went a season only got like one shot or two shots. And that was my whole hunting season. That was really hard to let go of. Um, but I also think that might be part of it too. Like sometimes maybe we need to hang on to those misses for a couple of weeks. Um, I, I don't think I'd go back and tell myself like, just let it go. Um, sometimes like sitting with it that long really made me the bow hunter that I am. Maybe I could be better, but I, I think it's okay to sit with things in those emotions. So, um, think when it came to how to be a hunter, um, I wish I could tell myself like, try to pick up more of those skills sooner. I think I would have had a lot more shot opportunities if I would have paid more attention to hunting tactics and strategies, not just what, what are the cool arrows? What's the cool rest? What's the cool accessory? Uh, what are the best boots? What, what's the best pack? I, yeah, camo, I remember spending so much time researching camo and just getting all excited about it. And, you know, I go out the door now and it's like, what pants do I think don't have a lot of scent on them? You know, what maybe have ended up in the wash that has like a lavender floral smell. I'm going to leave those at home. <laughs> I, I grab solids half the time. I use a lot of our black Ovis pants. I'm more function now in terms of like cosmetic of like what I think the deer is going to see or not see. Uh, yeah, I'm just like grab and go. And I'd say another thing like with boots, um, that was a bit of a mistake I made early on. I bought a Danner boot that was insulated. It was like 400 gram. Don't laugh. All right. You can laugh, whatever. Uh, send me a message on Adam underscore Buchanan on Instagram if you are laughing with what I'm about to tell you. But that was my year-round, early season, in-season, late-season boot. Is a 400-gram insulated boot from Danner. I don't even remember the model. Uh, higher ground, that's what it was. Wow, I can't really remember that. Man, my feet were so hot in those early season, you know, like August kind of opener time frame. Oh my gosh. I just look back now and I'm just like, what were you doing? Oh my heavens. So yeah, I, I, I wish I could have told myself like, slow down, really think about like what gear you're putting on, what, what you're using, even like down to the knife. I think I remember you know, I'm, I'm glad I caught myself because I, in the early days, I think I just had like a multi-tool, you know, to like 
actually process a deer. And then I saw the Havilon and I was like, oh, okay. You know, so I didn't hack up a deer with like a multi-tool. Um, but, ugh, oh man, the boots, that was a huge miss. Uh, on the bright side, you know, I pulled the trigger on a lot of Sitka camo, uh, open country optifade. That was actually probably one of my better decisions. If I was to pick like one camo that really works for me and everything I do, especially when you get into late season, it's a little bit lighter colored, uh, you know, where I'm at it, I feel like I can get more time out of it, um, versus something so specific to one season. So if you're really trying to like nail the camo or get a wide range of use out of a camo, um, shut, like pause for a minute and think of like what pattern could be the most applicable, you know, for changing seasons or like, you know, a couple inches of snow on the ground. Um, maybe mine isn't absolutely perfect, but killed a lot of deer in my camo. And I think that stands for something. So yeah, and the Optifade uh, open country, yeah, it's a little bit more tan, kind of lighter. I'm not saying it matches perfect with snow, but it's not like bright, you know, really deep green or deep browns either. But uh, one thing I've been really enjoying this year actually is Numa. Numa's been pretty pretty awesome brand. We work with them at Black Ovis, and the cut, the fit. I'm really impressed with, and I kind of waver between a medium and large. And I would say I probably should be in a large with them, but I do like a more tight fit. Um, so the medium does work. I'm 185, 5'8". The, the thing, and that's the top, you know, I, I think with the top, you have to think about the wrist release. I'm always thinking about the wrist release when I'm buying a top. How's it going to mesh with it? And then pulling my bow back, how's that going to go? I've seen Badlands make this where there's the snap function around the forearm. So you can like tighten up that bunchy fabric. I think that's a cool feature. I think, um, but Numa, they just don't have any bunchy fabric. It's, it's just like a really tight cut. So, um, yeah camo pretty interesting but i think oh let's talk optics for a second if i was to sit down with myself and be like hey let's talk optics i don't think i made too many mistakes i i, I will say i didn't understand optics at all so it's kind of like i had heard vortex and that was the best and so i'd kind of work towards that um I will say I had a pair of Bushnell's Legends. They were not great. Um, they were kind of spendy too. Like I got them for a discount with like the industry and they were still like 250 bucks. And I was like, okay, well, I guess these are good. And then you like compare those, you know, to another pair and you're just like, oh man, these are meh, you know. So I wish I would have slowed down in buying gear and that's really backwards for me because like I come from backpacking, I come from skiing where I do a fair amount of research. I like to research gear. I was surprised how much I rushed into hunting gear 
it was almost as if I just trusted everything. I was like, oh, Bushnell, yeah, good. Oh, Vortex, yeah, awesome. Sitka, great. And for the most part, I think things did okay, but, like, I think just constantly comparing, like, if you go out with a buddy and he's got a really banner pair of binos or a rangefinder, um, reach over and be like, hey, can I can I look through that? Like, just trying to get a sense, you know? Um, and he might be like, yeah, these are $1,500 binoculars. Okay, well, compared to my $200, I see the difference, you know? Um, it's something to kind of think about and work up to because when you're staring through those things for hours at a time, yeah, you'll you'll start to appreciate that quality, and as the budget allows, you'll grow into that. But I think I would have told myself to slow down a little bit, definitely, in the optics. I, I just kind of like... I remember, like, I had the Bushnells forever. I was like, oh, man, Vortex is cool. Like, their brand and product. And I bought some. It wasn't a 10 by 42. I remember buying those. And that was, like, a good, okay, I'm kind of, like, in the playing field. It was one before that was, like, 8 by 32 or something. It was just a weird size. Um, I didn't understand it. And I just was like, oh, price is right. It's like buck 29 or something. Um, yeah, bad size. It was, it was not great. Then I went to a 10 by 42 and I was getting in that diamond back vortex type thing. That's just like, and what's funny about the, the diamond back, it's kind of a base model a bit, but it's also just a really good bino, like, uh, compared to probably, five, maybe 10 years ago. I feel like they've enhanced the base model Diamondback versus the base model Diamondback from years ago. So you're getting a lot, you know, you're, you're just getting that power punch where they haven't necessarily totally increased the price. Uh, and then, oh man, Vortex also launched the Triumph. This is kind of a youth bino, $100, you know, roll around the back of the truck type bino. But again, like, it's a banger product. Like it's, it's actually pretty good. So if you are really truly just starting out and you're like, Adam, give me something to kind of start with. I would lean towards vortex because for the dollar, you're going to get the most out of it and you roll over it with your ATV. Uh, you can send them back and get a warranty. I've actually warranted a few vortex items and they are so easy to work with. Um, no questions asked. They'll replace it. They'll repair it whatever it takes. Then I went from like a 10 by 42 to a 10 by 50. And that was a big, that was a good jump. And that's when I was kind of like, I don't think I need a spotter with the type of hunting I do. I'm not really looking past four to 500 yards, honestly, um, with the areas I've hunted in. So as I progress and I'm doing different things and different stuff, maybe I'll head into those spotter years, but like literally I think I've owned three spotters and I bought it just because I was like, well, that's what you do. You, you check out the boxes, you buy all the gear. I like, I'd look at it and just how big and heavy it was. And I was like, meh, I don't want to carry that up the mountain. Like I'm just going to get like nicer binos. So I like sold the spotter and then I go a year and it's like, oh, I need a spotter. So I buy not like literally I've bought and sold like three in the last probably six years. 
So I am spotterless right now. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of like borrowing them and stuff. It's like, I don't know. It, it's a big, for me, is Western Hunter. Well, that's funny because Western Hunters generally use spotters a lot uh, with long distances. Just for me, like, I just don't. It's like if I want to see something, I'm going to walk in closer and, like, get that better view. But I'm not going to, like, spot something from super ultra far away and then just be like, okay, I'm going to go after it. Probably sounds dumb, but in my mind, I'm, like, trying to hunt smarter of going in deep into an area where I know there might be some activity as I've learned like some onyx tips. Um, that's kind of more of, of what I'm thinking there. So, or my approach. But yeah. Spotters are, man, they're big, they're heavy. So, but I have got my rifle hunt, um, uh, next week, actually, I'm going to take my son. He's got a tag. I really want him to get one on rifle for an elk. I think that'd just be awesome. But I am like ultra manifesting to the universe that it's going to happen. And okay, so this is a key piece too. And I was thinking about this as I'm prepping for this outcome. I was walking to the gym this morning and all I kept saying to myself is, we're going to kill an elk next Wednesday. We're going to kill an elk next Wednesday. My son's going to kill one. I'm going to kill one. We're going to fill our tags and just, pull in like 700 pounds of meat. It's going to be great. I just kept saying that to myself, just manifesting. That is one thing I would have told myself at a younger bow hunting stage is tell yourself this is going to happen. When I did start doing that, stuff started happening. You know, like even like the way I prayed at the truck before I went out, you know, I used to pray like, you know, Heavenly Father, please help me be safe and please help my family that I can return home to them and keep them safe and healthy and all that stuff. Like it was just kind of like a, you know, ramble. Um, but when I start killing deer is when my prayers kind of changed and my mindset changed was I'd say, Heavenly Father, um, I'm going out today and I'm thankful for this privilege there's a lot more gratitude in my prayers too. Like I'm thankful that I know how to use this weapon and, and use it carefully and, and, um, critically. Um, you know, I'm thankful for this gear, you know, I'm thankful for my vehicle, you know, that can get me in and out of these incredible places. And I'm thankful for the hunting privilege that I can go into these places and actually like go do what our ancestors did and, and then I kind of go into, you know, please help me get an opportunity to take a shot. Please help me make a good placement on that shot. Please help me recover the animal. Please help me get it back safely. Like every stage of the hunt, even like blood tracking, you know, very specific, like, please, God, help me track this deer correctly. Help me be inspired. And that is when my hunting really changed. Honestly, I, I, man, I, I, I would tell myself that actually early on, like, if you want this, God's going to be the biggest role in terms of bow hunting success. Uh, so that's, yeah, yeah, it's funny actually, as I'm thinking about this, like that's when I started killing deer it was when my prayers changed. 
That's so interesting. And then on episode two, I do talk about yoga and breathing um, because I would get so jacked up, you know, and I'd get in those opportunities to shoot. And <clears throat> that, that was a big one, learning how to breathe and slowing down and, and praying. Let's see, we covered optics, covered God, praying, <laughs> camo. Um, yeah, back to the optics real quick too on the rangefinder. That was another thing too. Like I wish I would have tried out other rangefinders. I think I just bought what I could afford and I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's vortex. It, it'll work. I wish I would have looked at Leopold. I wish I would have looked at, um, a higher end model and something else in a higher weight class. Yeah, because I try stuff now, and I'm just like, dang, that's responsive and accurate. Like, holy smokes. Like, you get that base model 1500 Ranger, the Rangefinder by Vortex. I think it's 1800 now. And it's good. It'll. I've killed deer with it. I've ranged deer, you know. Um, but uh, it, it started to peter off a while. And then Preston Ward, he's with Mountain Physio, uh, really good dude, by the way, I need to have him on. He's, he's phenomenal. Uh, he actually helped me PT my knees. I had two torn MCLs and he got me like riding a bike and skiing again and hunting again. But he was sharing some issues with his rangefinder, and it was like, take the battery out, put a new battery in, reset it, all this, like they just weren't ranging. And it was so frustrating. Like I remember getting into range on a deer and I couldn't get the range and I was so upset. Like it was, Oh, I was sick about it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if they had a, like a bad batch or something go out. I kind of heard that around YouTube and stuff too. Like a few, I don't know, it was a couple years back. Uh, swapping out the battery does help. I do recommend always having a battery like a backup. So, and they're annoying to buy, like make sure you're not running through the gas station thinking you're going to go buy a rangefinder battery. Yeah. Um, may need to order it on Amazon or get it. at. I get mine at Smith's marketplace, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's a must have in the bino harness. Um, Oh, let's talk about bino harnesses. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I I underestimated the importance of a bino harness. Um, I used the free Vortex one for years, like forever. And then I got a Badlands. I really liked Badlands early on. I, I just thought it was like, they make cool product. It's a good price. It's, it, they, I don't know. I, I just, I was always kind of impressed. So like, for me, a big upgrade was getting the mag bino harness and it like snaps closed and it's supposed to be really quiet. Um, I, I wish I would have thought through that a little bit more and like challenged myself a little bit more of what do I need in my bino harness? You know, what am I carrying? Um, I've since moved up to like a mystery ranch. They make a really good one that I'm a huge fan of right now. Another one is the Sitka one. I think it's the mountain harness. It's got like two side bags. It's almost too many bags for me. 
on the side. I'm kind of like, ugh, I don't have enough stuff uh, to put these in. And then there's like marsupial, they'll just do one side. Um, Yuli Freak Game Changer, they'll do like two bags on each side. Or a bag on each side, I mean, two bags total. I wish I would have slowed down and thought through the bino harness a little bit more because I found myself wanting the smallest one possible so it wasn't big and bulky and I could like move and um but uh, you're always like putting stuff in your 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 bino harness like you're always putting more in your bino harness um so I wish I would have thought through that a little bit more and been like, hold on, I need something bigger. Like I'm actually carrying more stuff in here. And then when I started carrying my, my Glock and my Bona harness, that is, I think what tipped the scale. It was like, okay, I'm packing this thing way too full. Um, and speaking of that, uh, I, I really do believe in carrying a handgun. I, I don't think it's talked about a whole lot. I don't think people shared a whole lot. Uh, especially after my bear encounter, um, I'm glad I had uh, a sidearm with me. Um, but mm, yeah, definitely, definitely consider it. Think about it. Uh, for me, where I'm at, it's few reasons. One would be uh, protection. I do have a lot of cougars out, um, mountain lions. People are seeing a lot more in Utah. That's why they actually have like a 365 tag on them. I think you can like shoot them year round now because they're just getting out of control. Lots of viral videos coming out of Utah of encounters. Yeek. Um, I'm not going to tell you what caliber. It's up to you. Um, you know, carry as big as you feel comfortable or kind of forward. Um, I like to get a caliber that I can easily get, you know, so it's not like I'm carrying tons and tons of ammo with me but I don't want to get something so unique that it's like super hard to find. So definitely consider it, but think about like, where are you going to put that gun? And I have tried different places on me. The, the Bionaharis is the best. The only caveat with that is like when you get really hiking in weird positions and you're, you know, going through scrub oak or you're going through like tight places, just making sure you're not dropping stuff. Um, Man, oh my gosh, this was one of an early hunt. I uh, it was going through scrub oak. If you don't know what scrub oak is, it's basically like a bunch of witch witches, like fingers of witches, just all like millions of them, and they're just like poking out at you, these little branches. And these trees aren't even that high. Like it's just these shrub kind of thing, or probably seven feet tall. They're so annoying. And deer can just disappear into them. And, but when you, you have to cut through an area, you usually have to go through scrub oak, and you are just rubbing up against this stuff. On that note, Sitka, like the mountain pant that I've had for like 15, no, not 15 years, probably 10 years, um, those things have been through so much scrub oak, and you can't even tell. Like they're holding together really well. I was going through scrub oak and I had my range finder clipped. I had the belt clip thing. I had it clipped to my bino harness and the lanyard was free. Like it, the lanyard wasn't tied to anything. And I was like going and going and going. And then um, I looked down, my range finder is missing. And I'm like, oh 
my gosh. And I've been rubbing up against the scrub oak like crazy. I was just like so sick. And I was a pretty young bow hunter. And so to lose a $300 rangefinder, I mean, that you feel that pretty good. And so I don't know how it happened, but I turned around and it had only been 10 yards. And it was perfectly hanging on one of the scrub oak by the lanyard. Like it had fallen, but the lanyard like snagged. I mean, this is scrub oak. It's like all these crazy branches sticking out. But I remember it was fall and there was a bunch of dead leaves on the ground. I'm like, dude, if that would have fallen on the ground, I that would have been hard to find. So just a little note there. I always clove hitch my rangefinder lanyard to, to my person, uh, to my thing. That is one thing though, too, is like practicing with your equipment. That was one thing that always screwed me up and it's actually pissing me off right now. I got to get a new lanyard. I have the lanyard right now. It's like the it's Lycra, like it's stretchy and then it collapses. It's like the spiral stuff. Oh man, it's annoying. I hate that thing. It reminds me, I got to get that thing off. It is so stupid. You'll do like, you'll pull it out and it stretches and you're like, okay, sweet. It's doing what you're supposed to do. But then like you'll drop it or you'll put it down. Like sometimes I rest my rangefinder just on top of my bino pack just for a minute. And then it gets all tangled. Like the stretchiness just wraps around things and, it sounds so trivial and stupid, but it has screwed me up so many times. And then when I think like, oh, it's attached or like it actually broke the other day and I had to like tie it on manually. It was so dumb. The little clip broke. So dumb. Hate that thing. So just do like just a true tether. Like don't do clips. I've had, I've had a lot of plastic clips fail, like on those little rangefinders and stuff. That's like the lanyard clip or whatever. Just do a good hearty grandma's knot. I don't know. I don't even know what a grandma's knot is. Uh, we used to call that as kids. We just tie a bunch of crap to each other. It's like, oh, it's grandma's knot. So back to lanyards. <laughs> yeah, the spiral one, super annoying. But what I say is like that might work for you. But make sure you're figuring out how to do those shots, how to rest, how to kind of go through those motions um, before you get in front of an animal because there's so many gotchas that happen. And I can't tell you how many times I'm just like, stupid rangefinder, like the lanyard did this and it wrapped around that. And mm, mm -mm. so that would be advice I would tell myself is like, Okay, you got all this gear, you got all this stuff attached to you, practice with it, figure out like, okay, go through the motions, I'm seeing the deer. Even I was at the range, the shooting range um, the other day and I was sighting in my rifle, just kind of final checks, you know, this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, do you want, do you want to shoot more accurately? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, awesome, okay, let me just show you something you're doing and whatever, he kind of showed me this thing. And it was really cool because he was like, you know, at home, you don't even have to load ammo, which obviously you're not going to do. But he's like, take all the ammo out and just cock it. 
and just practice that feel of how I'm showing you how to pull the trigger. And I was like, oh my gosh, awesome. So I had my son do it too. And I'll tell you, it's really easy to practice your trigger pull without ammo. <laughs> and you get that same effect, um, just like where the tip is and all that good stuff. So. Same with, I know, archery, there, there's ways to kind of practice it, like super close range, like you can shoot it like 10 yards of your house. And I would tell my younger self, don't worry so much about the distance, worry about the muscle memory. Um, I remember getting so excited, like, oh, man, I, you know, I hit the ring at 75 yards. Oh, you know, how much farther can I go? Can I do 90? Can I do 100? And it's fun to shoot long distances. But I, I got super carried away with long distances and less about my form. Um, I would tell my younger self to get a coach. Actually, yeah. No, I, I, would, I would say, dude, your form sucks. Like, go, go get someone to help you. Ask for help. Uh, talked about that a few times, too. We, we spend all this money on gear. We're always wondering, like, dude, which broadheads, which arrows, and um, why not 150 bucks for a coach? You know, maybe I should ask that for Christmas. Actually, man, oh my gosh, I think I'm gonna do that. I wanna, because my wife keeps asking me. She's like, "What do you want? What do you want? What do you want?" And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> I will say, I uh, she was really sweet. She's actually um, coordinating a wildlife butchering class in Boise. So I'm really, really excited about that. And might be a new knife under the tree for me. I don't, well, that's the funny thing is like, I don't know if my knives are good or bad. I, I think they're okay. We were researching it actually, me and my brother-in-law and he, uh, he's like, yeah, man, like top rated knife is like $14. And then there's another top rated knife for $176. He's like, something's wrong with that story. So we are going to learn more and I cannot wait for that. That is going to be super fun. Heck yeah. So yeah, I would tell myself, get a coach. I think my form is just super terrible for the longest time. Uh, just have someone watch you, you know, people do that on Facebook all the time. Like I see in the groups where they're like, Hey, I'm going to shoot three arrows. Like, can you give me advice on my form? And that's okay. I think people, share some things. I mean, if you truly don't have anyone around you, you know, or a bow shop or a friend who knows what they're doing. Yeah, you can do a video, but, um, Oh, that's one thing too. And I, I do celebrate that I did this fairly well is don't getting, don't get so caught up in the online information. Um, there is value there and I, I could have, balanced a little bit more. I think I was so polarized of like, yeah, let's just go buy stuff and let's go shoot stuff. And I just kind of fired then aimed. Um, but I, I in, in some ways there's, there's a little value in that of like, no, I don't know everything. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that bothers me. All right. And this is coming from me, who, a guy who has done almost every hobby on the planet. I've done beekeeping. I've done quilting. I've done vintage trailer restoration. I've done 
Okay, I've done more hobbies than that, I promise. Uh, there's a long list. Um, but I'm just always into something. You know, I'm doing ice baths now. I'm doing, um, I ski, a mountain bike. I'm always into something. My garage is obnoxious. Like, there's so much stuff in there. And uh, people will come to me and they're like, hey, I want to get into mountain biking. How do I do that? I'm like, well, buy a bike. Like, well, what, what bike do you get? I don't know. How much money do you have? Like, I don't know, $1,000. Okay, then go buy a $1,000 bike. You know, and I don't, I don't say that. That, that is me. I don't, I'm not a jerk and I'm happy to help you or anyone. But I'm just like, if you want to go do something, then go do it. Like, what are you afraid of? And I think the fear that people have is like, well, if I buy the wrong bow, I won't, shoot the target or I won't kill the deer. And I'm like, you think these bone manufacturers like suck that bad that in the last 10 years, they can't build a bow that's going to hit the target. There's way too much R and D and we're way too far along in the bow industry or the bike industry or skis or whatever. Like it's user error. If you're not hitting the target or if you're not having a fun time on your bike now, I will say when it comes to bikes, yeah, there's certain thresholds, you know, if you're under a thousand dollars on a bike these days, that's going to be a different performance than 2000 or more, I would say. So same with bows a little bit like, yeah, $150 bow, $200 bow, like pawn shop bow. It's going to be different than the $1,500 Hoyt. Yeah. You're going to have a different experience, but I'm just like, what are you afraid of? Like, go, go get the bow, you know, like, I don't know, do a Google search. I don't know. I just, people come to me and it's just kind of like hopeless. Um, and they're just like, Oh, like I want to, well, what's crazy to me. And this is why I'm just ranting a little bit and I, whatever, this is super off script by the way, as if I script these things seriously, but like, this is why I get worked up. This is why I get worked up. Let me give you some context. Someone will say, hey, I want to go buy a mountain bike. What bike should I get? I'm like, oh, okay, how much do you have to spend? You know, we'll talk back and forth. Okay, here's what I'd recommend. Okay, cool. They come back to me a month later. And we're talking in biking season, okay? We're not talking like January where you don't bike. It's April, May, June, whatever. Warm months, biking months. And they come back like a month later and like, hey, still thinking about that bike. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, oh, I'm just not sure. I'm like, do you have the money? Yeah, I've got the money. Okay. Go buy the bike. Well, I just, uh, I don't know. And I read this thing online that the pedals and the shifting. And I'm like, dude, like you don't even ride. What do you care? You know? So that's what I do like about my approach in bow hunting is, I was just like, whatever. Does it shoot an arrow? Does it kill things? Sweet. I'm in. Like, is it a cool color? Awesome. Can I afford it? Sweet. Check. Like, I don't even think I told my wife. Like, I just came home with a bow, and I'm like, I got a bow. She's like, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Like, you're going to go work at Cabela's and whatever. Yes, I bought a bow. So there's a little bit of, like, positivity behind the madness, my madness that 
I just hope you don't listen to this podcast and be like, okay, well, Adam said this and now I've got to go find that and figure this out. Like I can't spend a dollar before I can have a surety that this is going to guarantee results. If that's your approach with bow hunting, it's going to suck. Like, I mean, maybe for like a pair of $2,000 binoculars, if you're like, okay, I need to really research these things. I have a very specific purpose and they've got to do this, this, and this. I'm spending my mortgage basically on a pair of binoculars. Fine. You know, pick it apart. Yeah. But okay. I'm talking first generation bow hunters here. You're new. You're just getting started. Just go buy the bow, man. Like who cares if it's a PSE, who cares if it's a Hoyt or a bear or a, Bowtech. I mean, can it shoot an arrow at the legal limit or minimum to kill something? You know, 35 pound pole weight, whatever. Great. Go do it and go shoot it in the back of the target in the backyard. And, you know, just like I would, I, here's my thing. And, and this is obviously just me and it's probably not the right way. And I'm probably don't know what I'm talking about, but it's like, I'd rather someone come to me and be like, hey, man, I bought a bow. I've been shooting it for a month. Um, I'm noticing this. I, you know, I noticed that. I, I'd like it to do this, whatever. Dude, I will work with you till the end of the earth. Because I'm like, okay, you dug in. You plunked down the skrill. Like, you're out there. I see you working, whatever. But, like, take the leap, you know? And... I'm way more about somebody who's like, Hey man, I'm on a budget bill right now. I want to level up. I know what I'm after. Love to get your thoughts. Heck yeah. Let's talk all day long. Like I'm all about that. But if you're just like sitting on your hands, watching endless YouTube videos of like, okay, I watched four hours of reviews of these bows and I just, I don't know. It's like, then go shoot a bow, like go to a shop, you know, go, like sometimes you got to go spend a hundred bucks on a dozen arrows to figure out what arrows are going to be better, you know, and, and be okay. Challenging that like broadhead, same thing. Like I, I shoot broad, I, I shoot various broadheads. Right. And I'm like, all right, let me try this broadhead now. You know, I've seen this one or I didn't like how that one flew or whatever. So I, I switch it up. Like, and that's the other thing is be ever evolving. Like I remember buying my first broadhead, I killed my first deer and I just thought, Oh my gosh, that is the best broadhead. Like it killed an animal and went 50 yards and dropped and it's the best, you know, that broadhead actually kind of sucks now. And as I've dug more into it, it's not a great broadhead. And, um, you know, I had a good shot, right? I, I was lucky. And, um, <laughs> so that's not the end all. And, and I, I like to share my preferences. I like to share what I've learned, but I'd also really hope that this podcast teaches you that sometimes you just got to fire, man. You just got to like fire and you can aim later, you know, not when you're shooting an animal. Don't take me the wrong way. I'm talking about buying gear. When you're shooting an animal, you got to be, yeah, get that practice in. Don't, don't read me wrong. But if you haven't bought a bow yet, just, just go buy a bow, man. Like go with your gut. That's the other thing I would tell myself when I was younger. If I was younger, if I could go interview myself, I'd be like, 
dude, keep going with your gut. Because there was a lot of gut decisions I made that turned out to be spot on. And I don't know, even like, I mean, here's one. Hey, can you go kill an animal with an arrow you buy at Walmart? Yes. You know, I just went with my gut. I was like, you know, this arrow looks good. It, yeah, it's like what I see guys shooting at the, the bow shop or, or at the range. Like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I killed an animal. You know, I killed an animal with that arrow. Um, but as you shoot more, you'll be like, okay, I want to progress, whatever. But like, I just like $200 on, you know, a dozen arrows. Well, it's probably more than that with broadheads and everything like fully. If I gave you like the fully premium, like head to toe, dozen arrows, whatever, you probably 250, 300 with like broadheads. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you had to outfit 12 arrows with broadheads, whew, yeah, okay, you're up there. But I was like, yeah, that's the one. That might not be right for you, you know? So do you skip hunting season because you're just like, well, it's just too much money, you know? Go buy some Walmart arrows. Go kill an animal. Like, it'll work. Tune it. That's the other thing I would tell myself is really spend more time tinkering and understand that everything you're doing and how your bow is set up affects the flight of that arrow. I mean, I'm sure Dudley has like calculated this of how many things affect the flight of the arrow, but it's, I don't know if it's in the hundreds, but it's a lot. I mean, you're breathing, you're fletching, you're helical, three fetch, Three fletch versus four fletch, um, broadhead, weight, FOC, kinetic energy, like drop away, poundage, draw length, your elbow, your wrist, <laughs> how you're standing, your hips. Uh, okay, maybe not 100, but that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of these little minute things, and I just... Yeah, I'd go tell myself, like, hey, that's cool you're practicing. That's cool you're throwing those 100-yard bombs. Yeah, good for you. But, like, you got to slow down and, like, realize that there's more here. So, I mean, there's some things I would let myself go figure out. Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, like, I wouldn't tell myself too much. You know, now that I think about it, yeah, I would tell myself a lot, you know. But in terms of, like, the failure of, like, the miss – I wouldn't want to take my misses away from me because I feel like you can't learn from someone telling you about a miss. You have to have a miss to, to learn from missing a shot. So I, I wouldn't lay all the cards out on the table and be like, here's the formula of perfection bow hunting. Um, cause I don't have that formula now. Um, but there'd be some things I'd like try to let myself figure out, but yeah, I I think I swung a little too far on the polarized scale of, uh, fire the name need to dial it in, aim a little bit more than fire, but just go with your gut. Like, dude, if that's the bow that you found and it's used and it's 400 bucks and you're just like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. 
but you're like, man, I'm, this kind of gets me jacked. Like, I'm going to make this work. That's the other thing, dude. You got to make stuff work. That's what I would tell myself. Like, don't look at all these other hunters out there with perfectly, you know, uh, matching camo and the best of the best. And it's intimidating. You know, it really is. Cause you like look at somebody else out there hunting and I'd run into guys and I'm like, Oh man, I'm not at that level. Like, dang, I should probably just go back to my truck. Like I'm, I'm just not good enough. Um, make what you have work. One of my favorite quotes from Arthur Ashe, famous tennis player is, um, start where you are, use what you have. Yeah. Forgot the rest. Dang it. That was a really good quote. Look it up. It's like, use what you have, start where you are and like make it work. Let me look that up. One moment. I'm going to look this up. This is a really, really good quote. And I'm, my dad was a big Arthur Ashe fan actually quote. Um, here we go. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That, you know, I, I learned pretty early on, I'd say, you know, where I picked that up was a yoga class at Cabela's. There was a, a gal who's trying to be a yoga teacher who worked on our team and I went to her class and that was one of the quotes she said for like intentions. I've never forgotten that 10 years later. I've not forgotten that. So that was a great quote, but it's so true. It's like, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. You know, if if you're that $400 budget bow, if you're out of the pawn shop, you're using Walmart arrows, like use it, use what you have. And then when you're in the field, like do what you can to make it work. And I feel like that's what I did is I would face failure and I would just be like, nope, nope, I'm going to stay out here. You know, or I think the deer are right around there. I'm just, I got to keep going. You know, the biggest thing that has screwed up my hunting is truthfully is quitting and going back to the truck. Um, Yeah, I just, it just hit me. It's like, no, you got to make it work, you know, and ignore those guys with all the gear and the this and then that. Even me, ignore me. Like, I don't care. You can look at my big fancy bow and be like, meh, whatever. I hope I don't intimidate you. I sure as heck don't. Actually, I just posted on Instagram a photo from my first hunt in Nebraska. I'm in a ground blind with Trevin and, whoo, chilly, like negative 10. That morning it was negative 16. Bull, bull, terrible. So I, uh, yeah. That's that's a lot of what I would tell myself, and hopefully that rings true to you. And if you're kind of on the fence on something, hopefully I just shoved you over the fence. If I did, uh, you know, drop me a line, Adam underscore Buchanan on Instagram. Take a screenshot, you listening, write a review if this has been helpful. I, I hope this episode really kind of hits home for some folks, and even if just if it like helps one person, and you're just like, all right, that's what I needed. I hope that's what this did for you to just tinker the right way, get, get the right stuff, but don't not overthink it where you're just not making any decisions and any progress. So, all right, that's what I got for you. That is, um, this episode of first generation bow hunter. And I, I sure appreciate you tuning in and, 
Uh, I just really love putting these together. It's a lot of fun. That is episode 75. So yeah, please pass this along to Philip Bohunter, someone who else is trying to figure out this complicated sport we all bought into, um, but that we love. So, all right, catch you on the next one.